0: Thank you brother Vaughn for that reminder. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me if you would to the gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 19, gospel according to St. Luke chapter 19. <clears throat> this is Palm Sunday, the and uh for many it's a day of celebration and uh I know many churches, we didn't this, this year, and I don't know if, if, uh, if you ever have, but many churches get uh, palm branches, wave them around, and uh, uh, it's, a, it's the beginning of our Holy Week, and uh, a week that um, much would take place, much would take place this week. And uh, we could very easily have service every single day this week, and preach about what happened on that day, and uh, and not run out of material for sure. Probably could have multiple services, but a, a day. But uh, I want to speak to us. Uh, I feel like the Lord has led us to um, not to. Not to the triumphal entry, but um, just as Jesus is getting to the city. So I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's word. Matthew, or Matthew yes, Luke, Luke 19. Luke 19, you pray for me. I, I don't know if I'm tired, I don't know if it's a long week, but I keep saying the wrong thing. I'd like to say I take no responsibility for anything I say this morning, but I don't know if that, I don't know if that uh, counts. I don't know if you can get away with that, but if it's good, give the Lord credit, and if it's terrible, just blame me. Luke 19, verse 41, and when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it saying, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the days shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee, encompass thee around, and keep thee on every side, and shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation i want to speak to us by the grace of the lord the time of thy visitation the time of thy visitation father we ask that you would help us this morning Lord, you know how we've already been stumbling over our words. Father, if any good would be accomplished this morning, it's only going to be by your grace and your help and the presence of the Holy Spirit. We ask that you would help us this morning to rightly divide the word of truth. Be glorified, we pray. Amen. you may be seated. There's a story of Napoleon as he was traveling through Switzerland. The, the crowds were cheering saying that, you know, may, uh, Napoleon may live forever, and all excited about Napoleon as he, as he traveled through the countryside. And, and Napoleon seemed unaffected by the cheers of the people. And finally, one of the supporters concerned about Napoleon went up to him and said, Napoleon, don't you hear the cheers of the people? Don't, don't you hear what they're saying? They love you. They're glad that you're, that you're here And Napoleon said, these that are praising and cheering me so much today would cheer just as loudly at my execution. Napoleon knew and understood the fickleness of humankind. We're all excited one day about something and the next day we're disappointed. We want something really, really bad and we we buy it and we get it And then we wonder why we wanted it so badly. The things that were important to us today are unimportant tomorrow. And the things that were unimportant to to us today, tomorrow, we realize that they should have been more important than the way we treated them. We are just, we're just people that are so limited in our knowledge and so limited in our uh, uh, even in, in, in just our ability to regulate what we want and what we think and what we feel oftentimes we we feel uh, as though we're almost victims of our emotions our emotions oftentimes seems to to want to drive us rather than us being in control of our emotions as parents, we try to teach our children to have self-control over, over themselves and over their emotions. And yet, as adults, it seems like so few have been able to grasp the teaching that their parents tried to give them, even at a young age. Seems to be a, life, a life's journey to try to get a handle on this. We call this The triumphal entry and and I don't know who gave it that title, but as I as I read through the the text, I've often wondered where's the triumph? Where's the victory? Who's won anything? What battles have been won? What souls have been changed? Who's been converted? Where is the victory? I suppose that this is the culmination of Jesus' ministry as, as far as mankind would, would understand it. As, as Jesus is riding there on a colt, riding in on a, a donkey, and people are, are cheering, and people are, are waving their palm branches, and, and everybody's excited because they believe that Jesus has come to throw out the Romans. They believe that this is the beginning of the war. And what a great, great Messiah this is. One who can heal the wounded in battle. Even raised from dead. Those that have been killed. Were, victory is sure. No matter what hardships lie ahead, they're all excited. Some of the religious leaders are still not impressed. They tell Jesus to quiet them. And Jesus says, if, you, if like we, they quit praising me, these rocks are going to cry out. And yet, where's the victory? Jesus doesn't seem to be basking in the glory. He doesn't seem to be enjoying the praise of the people. For as He gets up to the walls of Jerusalem, it seems as though He has stopped that little colt and, and He begins to, to weep. Weep is a strong word, isn't it? He didn't have just some tears in his eyes. It, it wasn't just, uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, Jesus, what, uh, what where are you crying? Oh, I've just got some dust in my eye kind of thing. We don't see men weep in public very often. Almost in every culture, and perhaps every culture, a weeping man is kind of a disgrace not a thing to be lauded. I know the feminists have tried to change that. And I'm not sure that that's a bad thing, that, that, it, that, that we're trying to change it. I think that, a, that a, pers- a man should be able to feel more emotions than just anger. That seems to be the only emotion allowed in public, in our culture. But even in Jesus' culture, yeah. men didn't cry openly. They didn't weep openly. In fact, when Jesus would be weeping at Lazarus' tomb... It impressed the people. Wow, he must have really loved him to in order to weep publicly like this. This isn't just a show. He must have really loved Lazarus. But here Jesus is. He's weeping again. And he's looking over the city of Jerusalem. And this isn't victory that he's feeling, and it isn't triumph that he's feeling, and it isn't glory that he's feeling. He's feeling sadness and brokenness. Why? Why was Jesus weeping? Why was Jesus weeping in in, in a moment that even though he knew he was going to the cross, this moment you would think would feel good. When the people are praising you, even if you know they're going to change on you tomorrow, man, enjoy the moment. Why are you weeping in this, this, the highest moment? Moment of, of, of where people are really really praising you and really really looking forward to, to having you as king, even if they don't understand why are you weeping? Jesus gives three reasons for why he wept that day. The first was he wept for their foolish ignorance, they were ignorant. He said, Oh, if you would have only understood, if you only knew you only knew, if you only understood, but these things have been hidden from your eyes. Who hid them from their eyes? Have you ever thought about that? Who hid them from their eyes? Did God hide it from their eyes? Did God keep them from the truth? Jesus tells us that he spoke in parables that so that by hearing they wouldn't hear and by seeing they wouldn't see. And I that can perhaps uh, uh, cause us to uh, scratch our heads and, and, and not understand what Jesus is trying to say. And, but I believe what Jesus is tr- was trying to say is that when he spoke in parables, it was so that you had to really be listening with your heart and listening w- w- uh, in tune with the Holy Spirit to understand. Because if you tried to listen in the natural man, you were going to fail to comprehend what he was trying to say. It's a dangerous thing to go to the Word of God. It's a dangerous thing to listen to a preacher in the natural man. Because when we do, we begin to wrestle these things to our own destruction. In fact, Peter would say that concerning the writings of Paul, that people that didn't understand would start twisting things to their own destruction. And we have a tendency to do that. We have a tendency to, to want the Bible, we want the Word of God, we want, we want those things to line up with what we believe, and the way we think, and our opinions, and all, of, and, and all of who we are. And so when the Scriptures contradict the way we think, we either explain them away or we find another verse that agrees with us. That's ignorance. It's foolish Ignorance. What do we do when we come across the, uh, a truth, uh, come across a verse in Scripture that contradicts the way we think and the way we believe? What I'm afraid happens most often is we read that verse and we just skip it in our minds and never think about it, never meditate on it, never ask God to show us whether this is a truth that we need to understand or if this is something else entirely that... that uh. That it needs balanced with the context. Some time ago, I was preaching, I was preaching on of all things, predestination. And I was trying to preach on the biblical doctrine of, of what it really means for predestination. And I'll, I can already tell some of you are nervous about that. The Bible talks about this. I was preaching, I believe it's in Ephesians chapter 1. And, and uh, I had a, a, a dear sister come back uh, as she shook my hand. And she, I mean, she's an aged saint of God. Great-grandchildren. Maybe even great-great-grandkids. But as she came to me, she, she said, All my life I knew that we didn't believe in predestination But I never understood what we real what was the truth about it. I'd see it in the scriptures, and I would just know that's not what we believed, and so I just discarded it. And I thought, oh dear sister, what a dangerous way to live! What a dangerous way to live! To to see something in Scripture, not understand it, and just accept, well, this is what, way, the way the church teaches. This is what, just what the preacher preaches, and so I'm just going to I'm just going to accept what people tell me rather than the Word of God tells me. That's a dangerous place to live, and that's exactly where. The, the people found themselves. They were listening to Pharisees and Sadducees and and, and, uh, uh, scribes and Herodians and, and all these people that had influence and power and they were listening to these priests that were wrestling the truth and they were twisting it and deforming it into a lie. Do we want to know the truth this morning or do we just want... To be patted on the back and saying, you know what, you're doing a fine job. Don't change anything. It's a dangerous place to be. Now listen, I understand and I truly believe this is true. That, that if we are, are, are pursuing the, uh, uh, God and we are walking in all the light, that God forgives us of any ignorance. I believe that. But there's a difference between pursuing after God and Being willfully ignorant. One lady said that she didn't read her Bible and she didn't go to church because she knew that if she read it, she would be responsible for it. So she'd just rather live in ignorance and not be responsible for any truth. I don't know. I'm not her judge, but I have serious doubts whether she can get to heaven with that kind of philosophy. Because we're supposed to be walking in the light. And as Christians, we should want all of the light that we can get our hands on. We really should. Blind people, people who walk in darkness, stumble and fall. The blind lead the blind, and they all lead each other right into the ditch. Oh, that God would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and would help us to avoid the ignorance that comes by choosing to ignore truth. Oh, that God would help us this morning. Oh, that God would help us. Jesus not only wept for their foolish ignorance, but he wept for their future invasion. Jesus begins to prophesy, and he's pretty detailed, isn't he? Says that they're going to dig a trench around the city. Says they're not going to let him out. And eventually, they're going to, to destroy the city so that not one stone would be upon the other. I have to uh, believe that, that if you could somehow be transported in the future, at least in your mind, and see the very people, that you, the children and young people that are here, and see them suffering as greatly as what those people would suffer, you would come back here weeping. The people we love, we don't want to see them suffer. The people that we care about, we don't want to see them harmed. But judgment was coming to the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem their cup of iniquity was getting full, almost full, almost full. I believe it would be 40 years, just about one generation. The cup of iniquity would be full and, and God would allow the Romans to destroy that city. They tell me that, that anyone who, as they, as they encompassed the city, that anyone who tried to get out for food... They would capture them and crucify them just outside the walls so that the people that were looking uh, for an opportunity to find food, an opportunity to escape the city, that that they would see those individuals hanging there, nailed to crosses, naked and dying and rotting. A horrible, horrible thing to have to witness a horrible thing to, to, for Jesus to have to predict and to see and to know is coming. This morning, I don't know what lies ahead for you and me, but this I do know. There are going to be trials. There's going to be battles. There's going to be situations that you and I are facing, are going to have to face. And the question for us this morning is, are we in a place where we are preparing today for tomorrow's trials? Are we preparing today for tomorrow's difficulties and and struggles and strains? You see, if we live in just the moment, and and, and certainly I, I understand that it's important to live in the present and you can't be anxious for the future, but there also has to be some preparation for the future. There's wisdom in preparing for the future. Adam Clark tells us that those uh, that the Christians who had studied the teachings of Christ when this was about to happen, that the Christians all escaped Jerusalem, and the Christians were not in Jerusalem when Rome encircled the city. They had taken heed of the warning. They had taken heed and prepared. They saw the day approaching and they made their escape before it was too late. But do we take heed of the warnings? Do we take heed of the warnings? Or do we just allow the, the little problems to fester until they get bigger and bigger and bigger? Do we allow a, a conflicts between us and, and our loved ones, a conflicts between us and, and another person in the church or somebody at work, do we allow it to fester and get bigger and bigger and bigger? Or do we deal with it today? Are we prepared for... Uh, uh, have we prepared our hearts for a country that may not welcome Christianity anymore? Have we determined in our hearts that, that no matter the cost, no matter if we're going to lose our jobs or, or lose our, our, our livelihood or, or lose our homes, that, that we are going to serve God no matter what? Have we already prepared our hearts for that? Or are we just bumping along like a teenager with a boom box in the 80s and 90s with not a care about what's going to happen soon. Because those 80s and 90s teenagers eventually had to put down their boom boxes and put on suits and ties and go to the office. And I hope this morning... That we, as as uh, as God's people who have heard the warnings, that we are preparing ourselves for a future that may not be what we would hoped for it to be. One of the things that has concerned me is is the way that many uh, many missionaries have done mission work. And I, and I have spent time talking with our missionaries, and I will ask them, what's your plan for getting out? I don't support missionaries with no plan to get out. Just don't, that's just the way it is. Your job is to get in there, get those people converted, set up the churches and set up the Bible schools, and get them to send missionaries out. If the, if the plan is for us to support that work forever and ever and ever, then I'm sorry, that's not mission work. That is us trying to colonize them. Not interested. The places that we go to serve should be sending out their missionaries. Those places that we go to serve should eventually have their own Bible schools and, and, and be a light in their community and be uh, reaching the lost in their, in their place of uh, their place of, uh, that God's called them to, not us constantly having them dependent on us. What am I talking about? I'm talking about there's going to come a time. When we can't support every mission field, there's gonna come a time when we need to find new places. I'm talking about a prediction that is as true as, as, as history has repeated itself over and over, there comes a time when the work must be indigenous. Now, it's easy for us to talk about over there, but what about us? What about us? Are we preparing our hearts for what the future will be? I don't know what the future is going to be. I can't predict whether we'll have revival in this country or not. I believe it's possible. I believe it's possible. But I don't know if if as a nation we're going to move back to God or whether we're going to continue on this downward slide. I don't know. Some have said that they're convinced that where that's all, the downward slide is the only possibility because in the end, last days, there will be a great falling away. But, but throughout history, I've seen places that, uh, as I read the history books of the church, places where there's been great uh, falling aways where God has brought it back. And there were people in those days saying, oh, this is the way it is. This is the last days. There's no hope. And yet God brought revival still. I don't know what God has for the future but I want a heart that's prepared I want a heart that's prepared for revival I want a heart that's prepared to to minister to those that want to hear and I want a heart that's prepared that if it's unpopular or illegal to be a Christian that I'm still staying true Well that God would give us the the wisdom of our, of our uh, grandmothers who, had, what did they say? They said an ounce of prevention was worth a pound of cure. It seems to me that we keep trying to cure things instead of trying to prevent things. I remember one of, one of the places that I worked that the mantra always was, be proactive. Be proactive. See the problem before the problem is here and solve it before anyone suffers from it. And do you know what I find is happening in our churches and happening in our denominations is just the opposite. I've talked with denominational leaders and I'll, t- I'll say to them, you know, we need to be proactive about this. And this is what they say. I've got too many fires to put out to worry about that. I've had them say it to me more than once. This isn't to be criticized our leaders and that and no, I'm not talking about Brother Albert Shaper. So just <laughs> but what I'm trying to help us to understand this morning is you can be so caught up in the in trying to cure the problems of today that the prevention that would take just a little bit of time, a little bit of effort. We're not interested. Because we're so caught up in today. And that's exactly where those people were. They were caught up in the moment we've got roman uh, invasion we've 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 got their laws and we've got their taxes but we got this man who can who can maybe throw them off and, and we're going to put our support around it it was all about today and not the future Well oh, that god would help us to prepare our hearts for a future and that we'd be wise and careful finally Jesus wept because of their failed inspection. The Greek here in thy visitation is a a military term. It was when the general would come unannounced for an inspection. I don't know if you've ever had uh, the privilege of working in a job where the health inspectors can just show up unannounced. I had the privilege of working in a job where uh, with where we had to deal with the insurance agencies. And you know they would send their inspectors to inspect all of our paperwork and they would look for any errors they could get so they could get out of paying us what they owed us. If we didn't cross every T and dot every I according to, to their regulations, they did not have to reimburse us for the services that we've already rendered. And I can tell you, that when inspection time was getting around when it was getting close the anxiety among those in charge went really high there would be there would be individuals that their responsibilities in preparation for this inspection was that they would go through all of our paperwork looking and hunting for anything that may uh, catch the eye of the insurance companies. They would they would give us, and I remember sometimes they would, we'd get uh, uh, some paperwork back and they would say, these are some corrections we'd like you to make onto this paperwork so we can be sure to get paid. And hopefully your stack wasn't too big. You might get yourself in trouble. And you would go and you'd you'd... you'd do all the work, try to get that paperwork to look just the way that it should so that that when it came to the time when the actual inspector, when the individual from the insurance company would come, that we would pass and we would get all of the money that our company thought it was due. This, This people, these people of Jerusalem, these people of the children of Israel, God had sent his son to inspect. As a general would inspect the soldiers. I've never served in the military, but I understand that that is quite an ordeal. As they stand there, their weapons to their shoulder, and they're looking for scuff, on the boots and they're looking for dirty guns, and I mean, it's quite an ordeal. I've seen some videos of inspections on YouTube, and I just I think, wow, the precision that they require. I don't know why it's important for the boots to be clean, because if you're in war, you're not going to worry about your boots, I figure. I can understand your gun needing to be clean. But the reason why that the general wants perfection is because in the moment of battle, you don't have time to think. You have to act on instinct. When the bullets are flying, you can't be thinking about, now how do I put this gun back together? You've got to be able to do it without having one single thought you just do it. Just like you tie your shoes. You don't think about it. You just do it. Your fingers just know how to put, move just right and suddenly your shoes are tied. And, it, and, it, and when you have little ones that you're trying to teach how to tie their shoes, man, it's, man, to put all those words to it. Isn't it wonderful how God has helped us to be able to just be able to do it and not have to think about, all right, over, under, and around the tree, and all this. Oh. Glad that I don't have to, but it's because it's been ingrained into me because of training that I have. And God had provided the training down through the Old Testament. God had provided His law and righteousness and holiness. And now God had sent His Son for inspection. And you know what He found? He found rules and He found rituals, He found forms. He found using the church, using the temple, using the, the faith as opportunities for power grabs and, and money making. And into the next pa- passage of Scripture, those next few verses, after where I, right, before, uh, uh, right after where I ended, is when Jesus would go and uh, throw out the money changers. The inspection had been conducted and he found that the people were not living the way that God had taught them to live. From the leaders all the way down. And I wonder this morning as as we think about Easter coming up and we think about the cross and we think about all that, that Christ did for us, I wonder have we gotten so caught up in our routines and in our rituals of showing up Sunday morning and Sunday night and on Wednesday, and we go through all of these things that that we're supposed to do, and we sing the same two, three songs, and we go through all these motions. I wonder if what we've done is we've, we've made it where we look good from a distance, but when the inspector comes with the white gloves... And the keen eye, and up close. I wonder this morning if God is first in our life or if he is an afterthought. I wonder if, if, if under the microscope that God would say that you love these things more than you love me. We think about all that Christ did for us. I wonder this morning if He would say, "You have forgotten grace. You've gotten, you've gone back to the times where we're where we're more interested in inspecting other people than we are in loving people. We're not the inspector. We're not the general. Jesus is the inspector." But man, isn't it easy to start criticizing someone for the way they live or the way that they raise their kids or the, the way that they uh, conduct business or this or that or the other thing? And, and uh, man, I, it's so easy to get caught up in trying to figure out who's in and who's out. I don't need to know who's in and who's out because I'm not going to sit in judgment of them. That seat's already filled. I'm not saying there isn't a thing of wisdom and carefulness. I'm not not saying there isn't a time for church discipline. I'm not not saying that there isn't a a time for for fruit uh, inspection. But folks, for the most part, we are more worried about what other people are doing spiritually than what, uh, what we're doing spiritually. And I wish I could say that that's just the conservative folk, but I, you know, I found that, that the people who just seem, that just seem far out there, uh, and and you know have so much liberty as they say, you know what I find, I find they're inspecting us. Look how conservative they are, and look at their proof texting, and they're they're this and they're that, they're legalistic, and they're and and they're just and they're just inspecting us as much as we inspect them. may god help us to realize that we are going to be standing not as the inspector but as the inspected those priests the high priest the political leaders those that pharisees and sadducees who had power and influence those that supported him. Jesus came and did an inspection. and said, you didn't pass. I don't know if there's anything harder for a teacher to do than to say at the end of a year to a parent, to a child, we're sorry, you can't, we can't pass you. I know that it's become so unpopular that it's not even happening in a lot of schools these days. We're not holding our children accountable and they pass on to the next year and even if they wanted to learn the next year, they can't because they don't have the foundation from the year previous. This isn't a, pol- a political statement or, or even a policy statement. I'm just trying to help us to understand that that's a hard thing to do, to say to, to a parent and to say to a, to a child, you didn't pass. But if a child doesn't pass, they just repeat a year. They, maybe, they, maybe they're delayed just, just a year before having to go out into college or to the workforce. Really, not much is lost. In fact, much can be gained. Much could be gained. But if we don't pass that inspection... If the Lord on that great day says, I'm sorry you didn't pass, everything's lost. Everything's lost. How do we know if we're going to pass? The question is, is are we pursuing light? And It goes right back to our very first point. Are we preparing our hearts for the battles ahead? Are we, are we dealing with the issues today? Or are we letting bitterness crop up again? It all gets circular, doesn't it? We can't pass inspection unless we're walking in knowledge and in truth. We can't pass inspection if we're not prepared for the battle ahead. When the soldier stands at the ready, he's got to know everything that he needs to know from, from his boot, uh, boot camp days, from, all, from his drill sergeant. He needs to know everything he needs to know. When he's standing there in inspection, he's got to be ready for whatever challenges faces him on the battlefield. If he doesn't know it, if he's not prepared, he doesn't pass. And I wondered this morning, are we just get, just trying to skid by? Hold out until the Lord comes, hold out until until we can get out of here. You know I, I can understand. Some soldiers, they know they're getting to go home in two weeks. They probably aren't too interested in getting everything just right. They're probably just trying to stay alive for those last two weeks. But folks, there's a war to be won. And there's a king that needs to be served. And I don't know when we're going to get out of here, whether it's a long time or short time. I can't tell you whether, whether, we're, uh, whether we're going to, to face uh, another battle, a major battle, or whether we're going to just have little skirmishes along the way. I don't know, but this I have to tell you. We better be prepared. Prepared in our minds. Prepared in our hearts. Seeking all the knowledge that we can get our hands on. I can tell you right now, if they, if they forced me into the military and they told me that they were giving me a gun and send me out there, I would want to know everything I could know to try to stay alive. And I would just encourage us this morning, we better be just as close to the Master. Because I believe that there won't be long And spiritually speaking, the enemy will be firing his fiery darts at us. And maybe even there might come a time when it's even literal bullets that are flying at us. And I'm less afraid of those than I am of the enemy's fiery darts. I want to be close enough to the Master that I can know and be prepared and have everything down just as well as that I can so that when the inspection comes, when the battles come, when the, when, uh, the things that we are, are bound to face, when we face them, that we can pass with flying colors. Jesus wept over Jerusalem, but I don't want him weeping over me. I don't want him weeping over me. I want to be ready. I want to pass inspection. Let's stand together. Brother Gary Klein, would you dismiss us in prayer?